Hey, everyone. This is Jeff Klubeck, founder of Get a Clue Incorporated. And everybody knows the shortest distance between two paths is a straight line. So if you want the straight line insights on how to succeed through masterminds, then you need to check out my friend Brandon Straza and the Mastermind Effect. You love to learn, grow, and improve yourself, but you're still not where you want to be? The right mastermind can be the ultimate secret weapon when it comes to personal development, but trying to find the one that's built for you isn't always easy. Welcome to the Mastermind Effect, the one and only show that focuses on helping you cut through the noise, invest in yourself, and move past your natural limits. This is everything you need to know about masterminds, brought to you by your host, Brandon Straza. Hey everyone, this week we've got Jeff Klubeck, founder of Get a Clue, Inc., author of Get a Clue in 52. We learn how your brand is your promise and why you should learn about the animal to be a better hunter. Check it out. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. I believe the only way to unlock your potential is to tap into the experience of others. And today, to help us do this, we have got the founder of Get a Clue, Inc., the author of Get a Clue in 52, Jeff Klubeck. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Brandon. It's great to be here. Thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, before we get into everything, I always like for the listeners, if they feel that they really jam with you and they want to find you, what's the best way either through social or personally they can connect with you if they want to reach out to you? Well, um, Jeff Klubeck, K-L-U-B-E-C-K, not hard to find. Jeff Klubeck, one of my brands is Coach Jeffrey. Coach Jeffrey, that's where I white label my services for other organizations and then Get a Clue, Inc., is there. And then I started, a, you mentioned author of Get a Clue in 52. I created a Facebook group for Get a Clue in 52. And I'm building community around that and inviting folks in. Those are real easy ways to get a hold of me. I'm not, I'm not hard to find at all if you type in Jeff Kluber. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you sharing that with us. So let's dive into it. And right. let's talk about learning. And there's a lot of different ways to access education and how we've learned 20, 30 years ago is drastically different in how we learn over the last five, 10 years. When we were younger, it was textbooks and the teachers around us. And then eventually it became our friends, family, and then, you know, the people that we worked with, but it really only showed us a sliver of what was possible. How has learning changed from you from your early years to today? Wow. This, what a huge question. Um, you know, I am three years removed, three years removed from my career as an adjunct professor of communication. So I have a master's degree in communication and I taught public speaking to adult learners for 20 consecutive years. And so, so many things come to mind, right? My personal orientation to learning when I was growing up versus how I've needed to continue with continuing education. Uh, the differences of the college student experience when I started teaching in 1997 versus when I retired in 2017. I'll give you an example. You know, I started off saying, all right, put all your cell phones away. But I was teaching before there were cell phones. And then we had to deal with email. And then we had to deal with put your cell phones away. And then we had to deal with, all right, break out your cell phones. Because I had a course key. There was a course key, an app that I could get people to download on their cell phones, which gave me GPS. And they could check in as that they were in class if they were within a mile of the room. I could write quizzes and push them out via phone. So I just remember like there was you know, or somewhere in the 2000s, I'm like, hey, put your phone away, pay attention. I wasn't that kind of professor, but hey, put your phone away, pay attention to like, hey, get your phones out since you're addicted to them anyway, and we're going to get you through your phone. So learning is always best when the education or the educators meet the students, right? When education and educators expect students to come, 
there's going to be a challenge when students expect educators to, right? There's going to be a challenge when both are coming together. That That's beautiful. And uh, online has changed everything. My master's thesis was on student willingness to take courses online, right? So we found out the difference between a traditional learner and a non-traditional learner. People still, you know, COVID, we're in the COVID area as they're recording. People still want to be in school. They want to be on campus. They want to be seen. They want to make friends. But technology has made learning so much easier. So we're in a new phase of how things change. But here's what's always going to stay the same. Are you ready? In my opinion, Brandon, there's always going to be content, right? There's no learning without content. And then how is the content delivered? Is it around the proverbial campfire or is it through a Zoom? right? Is it through a whiteboard? Is it through online module? Is it brick and mortar? Whatever. There's content that gets delivered somehow. And then that content gets exercised, right? There's exercises, the exercise, work with the content, maybe even assignments on the way towards demonstrating a competency. So there's content, exercise, interaction with the content, and then towards a competency. So there needs to be some assessment, like, do, do we know it or not? How can you say you've learned unless you can demonstrate that you've learned. So I have a lot to say about this. All of those comments were big picture platitude type stuff. And I've seen a lot, it, it, you know, I've got two degrees and like I said, I'm a former professor and now online learning is the way to go. And I'm building my mini e-courses for personal and professional growth education online. It's a fantastic question to start off with. And, and look, there were so many different things right there. I'm going to, I'm going to stick to one. And I think okay. it's the word content. Yeah. Because content when, is when king. some content is king, but how we, you know, knew what content was 60s, 70s, 80s, you know, slightly changed in the nineties. And then, you know, the two thousands, if you say content to someone, they're thinking, Oh, you're on social. It's, mm -hmm. it's how, how you take in that content, how you take that. So speaking at, from an educational standpoint, um, a self-learning standpoint, you're not fighting against how people want to take in the content, whether it is through the app, whether it is pushing out the quizzes, you're, you're welcoming it and you're, you're changing with the time. Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, it's fun to look at it that way. I'm just thinking to myself, you know what it is here's the, here's the reality, Brandon. I'm so insecure, right? I'm so insecure. Imagine this, you know, that can I take you on a little mini journey here? Imagine it's 1997. I'm getting a master's degree in communication at San Diego state university. And I become a graduate teaching assistant, which means one week at the end of the summer, I'm in a room that's boiling hot with 27 other graduate teaching assistants. We get the big book and they say, here you go. And one week later, we're supposed to know how to teach. Right? So then I go into a classroom and what am I teaching public speaking? So first of all, I got one week of training, right? Second of all, I'm teaching one of the greatest fears there is. And then week eight, when everybody, not everybody, but when like there's a huge exodus because people drop out of class because their first major speech is due. I'm so insecure. I'm like, what am I doing wrong as a professor that these people are dropping out? How do I keep them engaged? What do I need to do to make sure they finish what they started? Right? They came here, they signed up for the class. What am I doing? Like, I didn't even, it didn't even dawn on me that people drop out all the time. People sign up for units to get their financial aid. And then once the financial aid comes in, they drop out. Oh, and by the way, people are afraid of public speaking. It doesn't matter if it's public speaking. A lot of times people drop out or would, they would draw before their first midterm anyway because they don't want the grade on the GPA if they're not putting in the effort. But despite all of those reasons in their own mind, their own world, why they may be dropping out of class, I'm like, what do I need to do in order to keep them engaged? And so, so I was thinking about, well, some people like to hear, some people like to see, some people like to do. 
what are all the different ways that I can manipulate the delivery of the content to appeal to the diversity that's out there? And I just started putting tons and tons of thought into how can I get to these people? How can I meet them where they live? How can I make it funny? So I developed a stand-up comedy style of instructing and I told them, you don't need the textbook, you just need this. And I became like the, the, the Peter Pan of, of being a professor, really appealing to the learner, the mindset of the learner and figuring out all the different ways I could get to them almost befriending them so that they wouldn't want to drop because they might feel that they were letting me down maybe because they saw how much I was putting in to helping them get through. So for example, like when I'm doing teaching now, I like the concept of a workbook. Let's say a, a vertebrae, right? Of a workbook and the content is in there, but instead of just reading page after page, like 30 page chapters in a textbook, I'll get the salient points, the keywords, the key critical concepts, right? And then I'll create like sentences and I'll blank out some of the words. And so now the students, they got the workbook and now either they're listening to audios, watching videos, or they're in the classroom, they want to get those blanks filled in. One way or another, there's a blank and they try to guess it. Oh, I know what goes in there. Or they're listening for, so I try to create engagement and I try to get the, the written, right? And then I used to, back when, there, when we went from chalkboards to whiteboards, I could create a PDF of the, my workbook in class and then I could project it onto the whiteboard and I could just go to the board and write in what goes into the blank and they would watch me write it in and they would fill it in from their desk or if they weren't in class, I created the audio CDs or then I would, ultimately my entire class was shot on video, recorded on audio and available in a Dropbox. Yeah, yeah. It's the see it, touch it, feel it, smell it just mentality. <laughs> Yeah, and, and it allows someone to sit there and say, "Okay, I can immerse myself in that because I can believe in that." So one of the, I'm going to appeal to everybody one of one or more of these one way. or more way. Yeah. yeah, nobody gets left behind, so to speak. That was, and it was all born out of insecurity. I took it personally. People dropped. I wouldn't even yeah. pay attention to their own reasons. I just took it upon myself to make sure I was going to yeah. help everybody get through the desert. Yeah, and it meant, hey, it's okay to be insecure. So, you know, today we've got more ways to take in information than, than ever before. And it's, it is confusing. We just talked about several ways just a minute ago. Some people look for a mentor. Other look for accountability buddies. Some people look for masterminds, coaches, online courses. There's a lot of ways to learn. Yeah. Who are you currently learning from and how did you find them? Oof, wow. Um yeah, here's the generic answer. I learned from everybody I talk to. I mean, if you're not leading your peer group or being led by your peer group, you need to leave your peer group. But I, I started off my career learning from people like Brian Tracy. You know, I was very fortunate to live here in San Diego. And San Diego is like the Mecca for National Speakers Hall of Famers, right? So Brian Tracy, Dr. Tony Alessandra, um, you know, I learned a lot from Tony Robbins, of course, even if it wasn't absolutely directly. Um, to, you know, consuming to, he's like one of the trailblazers. So the coaches trainings that I was in years ago were relying heavily on content from Tony Robbins trainings and it all gets passed around. So some of these blue chip old school stalwarts, you know, in terms of, of trailblazers and the pioneers of personal and professional growth. And then, you know, I would bring my academic component to it, but I was really, I was, I was just, you know, teaching classes, volunteering in the community for my kids. My wife is corporate, so she was traveling all around the world. So I was kind of staying home and it wasn't until I want to say 2013, 14, 15, where I started to learn the personal professional growth industry and the seminar side of the personal professional growth industry, where people go to conferences and go to events and they learn how to create wealth through business ownership or becoming an author or real estate investing or whatever the channels are towards wealth. And then you get these gurus 
or experts or mentors or mastermind hosts or any of the what you mentioned out there on the stage and the good ones can sell really well and the best ones actually can back up what they've sold right but i you know lately i'm coming out of a i guess i i'm coming out of a you know five six year window where I was like studying. I mentioned at the outset, Coach Jeffrey, I would white label my services for other organizations so that I would provide, I was the coach to be named later. So imagine, Brandon, that in an audience and you're in an event and you invest $25,000 to get three days of coaching to get ready to go speak on some big stage so you could launch your speaking career and get the video and all the accolades and the lights and the pictures and everything, right? But you have no idea what you're gonna talk about, right? So I was Coach Jeffrey and then I would be the coach that would show up and say, hey, well, let's get you ready for your speech. And so I would provide the, the stake to the sizzle. And so, so, you know, I learned a lot. That's what I've been doing a lot the last couple of years is learning about the seminar industry. Last year, I learned a lot about publishing, how to become a self-published author or what are the different routes in publishing and adding that. Like I just, I, all these years that I've been doing coaching, I haven't been an author other than my master's thesis, but now I can say I'm an author with a self-published book. So I've been learning about from people that have published books that have put on events. Those were two things that I hadn't done up until whatever part of my career. And now I have been involved in putting on my own events and publishing a book. And, and so I'm just continuing to acquire. The next level now is learning the whole online game, right? Especially during COVID. So people that are uh, really good marketers that understand how to um, build audience and keep audiences engaged with the technology. Those are the people that I'm learning from now. Um, you know, I, I'm going to give a shout out to a woman named Marissa Friedman who is, is just a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant marketing mind. And I, and, I, and I learn from her as often as I can. There's another guy that I've had on my program recently, Joey Falcone, uh, a brilliant marketer. And, and uh, so I'm, I'm paying a lot of attention to marketers right now. Um, I've re-upped with digital marketer to you know, learn some of those strategies. And so I think that you know, I've got content, I've got authenticity, I've got a little bit of an audience, I've got an education following, I've got competitive advantage. And now it's going to, it's like digital. How do we get out there and how do we, how do we build the audience from cold traffic? There's a lot of people that have known me for a lot of years, love what I do, but I want somebody that's never heard of me ever found out about me yesterday to be a raving fan tomorrow. So I'm going to need to know a lot about digital marketing in order to do that. Yeah. Digital marketing and just, you know, people, like you said, getting, you know, a thousand raving fans can lead to so much more. So, I mean, well, there's, there's debatable. I'd rather have 10 raving fans than a thousand bots. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. No, no, I completely agree. Speaking of the people that you work with, you're helping, they come to you, they're like, Hey, in three days, I've got, I've got something I got to be on stage for. And I don't know what I'm, you know, what I'm going to talk about. A lot of people get <laughs> stuck and they don't know how to execute what's in their head. I found that there's a lot of ways to get unstuck, but I have no idea sometimes how to get out of the bushes. How have masterminds or mentorship and coaching helped you when you're looking to execute a new idea? Oh man, I'm laughing because one of the ways is when you get into a mastermind or any room for that matter, and you finally realize that there's somebody quote dumber than you that's willing to take more chances. There's somebody dumber than you that's willing to get in the opportunity to be vulnerable. I've got mentors that have told me focus is more important than intelligence, right? And I might be dumb, but I just might be smart enough to be vulnerable and get the help that I need, right? So a lot of times you just get inspired by seeing people with their courage and their vulnerability and their openness. Because when you talk about a mastermind, (laughs) <laughs> you know, the, the, the word mastermind has traveled, right, from, from its origins with Napoleon Hill, where you get like-minded people coming together to help each other, to where you get the sales people out of the seminar industry that are using the concept of mastermind 
to get you in a semicircle to sell to you. There's a lot of people that host a mastermind, but they won't get in the hot seat themselves and ask the other group for help. They're hosting a mastermind to get everybody into the room so that we, you can sell to them. So the ultimate purpose of that mastermind is for the host to make money rather than for the participants to get what they need. So when you've got competing objectives like that, it, it becomes visible. It becomes observable to the participants. And, and so I'm sure you've got a lot of stories about the word mastermind being watered down, et cetera. So who do I learn from? The people that <sighs> they have integrity, you know, and, and, and that's something that we may talk about a little bit later in the show. I'm not sure. But when, when, you know, it's okay to want to make money. It's because, you know, business has to exceed, right? Or businesses have to thrive. But there's got to be, if you're telling people, hey, come together so that you can learn with and from others. And if you don't create that experience for them, you're out of integrity. So how do you balance those two things? And, and then, by the way, back to your original question, how does somebody get started that's stuck, right? For me, I could go a lot, a long, I could elaborate on this for a long time, but it starts with the promise. What's the promise? What is, the, what is your, first of all, if you're a speaker, you're going to go speak on stage. Somebody says, well, I'm going to go speak on stage. I've got this opportunity to speak. But what am I going to say? And I say, well, what could you promise to the marketplace? This is something I learned from my mentor, Brian Tracy, that your brand is your promise to the marketplace. So what can you promise? Now, I take that further when I'm working with people on their branding, when I'm doing branding makeovers and marketing communication makeovers for people's brands or wordsmithing or speech writing, right? We go deeper than that, right? But imagine, what's a promise, right? I'm going to promise some pain I can get you out of or some pleasure I can get you closer to. That promise needs to be attention gaining. And if I'm promising I'll get you out of pain or closer to pleasure, it will grab your attention. It's got to be the biggest promise I could possibly make. I'm not going to say, hey, Brandon, I promise you that during the podcast interview, I'm going to breathe. No, but if I said, hey, Brandon, I promise when you have me on, you're going to get some authentic conversation that you won't have from any other guest ever. So now my promise is authentic conversation, right? So now let's start there. That's where I start. What can I promise? And then we back it up. Why, do you, why would you want that? Why would that be a value to you? Why am I better or different than anybody else that you may have on your show? So I have a formula that I take people through. I took what Brian Tracy taught me and I expanded on it, that your brand is the marketplace divided by the promises that you can make to that marketplace amplified, multiplied by your competitive advantages, which is what you either do better than everybody else that also does it or what you do that nobody else does. And I can, as a homework assignment, make a list of your promises, make a list of all the people that could possibly invest in your solutions, make a list of everything you do better than everybody that does it, make a list of everything you do that nobody else does. And once you get all of that out of your head on paper, we'll eliminate all the jargon the terms that people don't understand and then we'll replace it with slogan and then we'll have some stuff to get you on stage with. Yeah. I think that's all about solving a problem. Like whatever you can promise, whatever you're better than someone, if you can solve the audience's problem or what they're looking for. And that's what you're doing is you're solving the problem that they, that they have. You you're like, what is it that you truly want? You want to get out of this pain point to have the, to, to the pleasure point. This is how yeah. I promise I'm going to get you there. Yeah. The problem that most people have when they say I'm stuck, I'm stuck, I'm stuck, I'm stuck, I'm stuck. <laughs> Hey, by the way, I like to have fun with this because my coaching, right? I like to say my coaching will get you unstuck. My coaching will reduce friction. My coaching will make things easier, right? So I call it clubrication, right? You just dab a little clubrication on there. It makes things easier, right? Um, thank you. And as a matter of fact, I, I don't know if I have my wine bottle handy, but I've got, I, I have custom wine where, you know, I, I get my, my branding etched into the glass and I send it out for a clue year, happy clue year. I send out wine bottles 
to my clients. And at the bottom, it says official lubrication inside as a branding fee. Anyway, point back to this is, is the reason that people are stuck is because they're thinking, and I'm going to slow down on this because I think it's a, it's a concept that I've, I've coined. People are thinking autobiographically. So the biography is a story I write about Brandon, but the autobiography is a story I write about myself. So people are thinking autobiographically. They're thinking about themselves. I want to succeed. I want to win. I want to be on stage. I want the limelight. I want the accolades. I want the, I want the, I, 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 me, 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 right? right? And what I'm encouraging people to do is think autobiographically. In other words, I mean, here's the analogy, Brandon. The best hunter isn't the person that's going to say, I'm the best hunter because I have the best gun. I'm the best hunter because I have the best ammo. I have the best camo. I have the best truck. I go to the best spots. Look at my vest. Look at this face paint. I'm the best hunter because I'm, I'm the best. That's not the best hunter. The best hunter is the person that's trying to be the animal. I know how the animal walks. I know when the animal speeds up. I know when the animal rests. I know how the animal interacts with other animals. I know what the animal does when it feels the winds of the sunset. I know what the, right? So the best hunter isn't trying to be the best hunter. They're trying to be the animal to get a millisecond, a half step in front of the animal, which would then make them the best hunter. Yeah. So, I, so, so everybody needs to like, just forget, forget about you. Let's talk about who might possibly buy from you. What is their self-talk? What pain are they in? What pleasure do they seek? There's a lot of people trying to solve those problems. Now let's figure out how we solve them better and different than anybody else who might. And now, now we're not stuck anymore. Hey, I can solve your problem and I could do it better than this person, better than that person. And I could do it differently than this person and differently than that person. Now, if you want them right on, but if you want me right on, in other words, there's enough people in the world, 7 billion plus and counting. Right. And so people have a scarcity mentality and an autobiographical mentality that keeps them stuck. But if I had an abundant and autobiographical, I'd realize there's 7 billion out there if I just get my message out. But all I need to know is what problem do I solve and how do I do it better or different than other people? I mean, it's that simple, right? But it's not because people can't get out of their own way. Yeah. It's when you get rid of that scarcity mentality and you realize, listen, there's enough fish in the sea for whatever you're fishing for. As long as you're genuine, you're honest, and you bring integrity to it, you're going to succeed. You don't have to worry what your neighbor's doing. Yeah, that's why I don't, I don't like this. You know, it hasn't come up for me lately, right? But if you live long enough, it, you know, you hear like, oh, don't steal my clients. Or, oh, you somebody stole somebody's clients. Nobody steals a client. You know, the ones that like you will buy from you. The ones that like them will buy from them. Like nobody stole yeah. your client. You just didn't provide the value. You just weren't differentiating yourself in a way that matters to that person. So instead yeah. of saying, oh, you stole my client, why don't you let them go get the service they need from whoever resonates more with them and then focus on your auto buyer graphical promises to the people that will resonate with you. But you, you understand this, this short-term thinking, scarcity thinking, possessive thinking, autobiographical, meme, you know, you get the idea. Yeah. So, you know, I grew up in a little bit of scarcity. I, you know, I, I quote my friend Shaquille O'Neal who says we weren't dirt poor, but we were gravel poor. And it took me a while and I'm still working through aspects of, of breaking out of the scarcity mentality that we grew up with. Right. I was a student at San Diego state and I remember surviving on six pieces of bread per day, a mustard sandwich in the morning, a mustard sandwich in the afternoon and a mustard sandwich in the evening. So I freak out when I see people throw food away when it's half eaten or, you know, waste. And there's still these triggers from not having things when I was growing up that I have to overcome in business. Right. Yeah. So I, yeah. Waste not, want not, and so many different things right there. That's yeah. just, wow. All right. There are, there's so many different styles of teaching, whether it be classroom, coaches, mentors, group environments. I realized at a young age, I 
could learn and from listening to others, but I couldn't really learn from a book. It was, it was their stories that helped teach me. Yes. What are some of the formats that you prefer to learn from and why? Oh, um, you know, I've never really thought about that. How do I prefer to learn? Um, I will tell you that I'm a bit of a quick study. I can tell you what I don't like, right? I don't like pressing a video, pressing play on a video if I don't know where it's going, right? There's a lot of people that love video, right? And I can get into it, but I need to, like, for me, I'm a very efficiency-minded, right? I'd rather have the book than the video because for me, I can scroll quicker to what I need if I've got the whole book in front of me, then if I have to like fast forward, pause, listen, find out what's going on, wait, oh, wait, he must have said something before that makes that more, let me rewind and right. Do you know when I have the whole book, I can, I could just, but my, my mind is trained that way. I think the newer generations, video. It's amazing what people are doing with video out there. For me, give me all of the material, let me scan it. And for some reason, you know, my, one of my professors, one of my mentors and professors when I was in college, Dr. Mike Rio, when he wrote my recommendation letter to get into graduate school, where he was then the director of school of communication. Anyway, he, I'll never forget this. And I never saw myself this way, but he said, Jeff is a quick study, right? So if you give it to me one piece at a time, I'll get frustrated. You know, if you only give it, give me this and I can't see this at the same time, I get frustrated. So I want to go up to the Goodyear blimp. Like in other words, that you imagine football metaphor, right? You like American football. Uh, imagine being a quarterback. And uh, some people say, well, I learned by doing, I learned by doing. Okay, well, let's put you behind the center. There's 21 other people on the field. All of them are bigger than you. 11 of them are trying to get you. And now I'd go ahead and try to get the ball into the end zone from there, right? I'd rather start off at the Goodyear blimp, see both end zones, see the traffic surrounding the stadium, see who's in the stands, see the way the defense is lined up, call a play and then send it down and then go. So give me big picture. You know, and then I'll go to the details that I need. But if you start me off on the details without an anchoring into the big picture where I could go where I need to go, that's a little more frustrating for me, for me. Now, I'll tell you another story that uh, when, when my wife and I were in college together, my wife, Marianne, I got my beautiful three kids and Marianne. So we haven't talked about that. But, you know, people say, what do you do for a living? And I wake up every day figuring out how I'm going to deserve my wife and kids. I've been in love with Marianne for a long time. The first time we kissed was November 19th, 1991. So we took a couple of courses together in college at San Diego State. Thank you. I see your face raised. Yeah, it is impressive. I love her so much. And there was a couple of times where I couldn't afford books and we would take a class together and we had enough money to get one book. We would share the book and uh, we would both procrastinate. And then it's the night before the exam. And I'm like, no, Marianne, you read the book. Well, you need to study too. I'm like, don't worry. I was paying attention in class. She's like, huh? And I'm like, look, you study. So she would study all night and I would, I don't know, drink with my buddies or something in college or whatever. And I would go and I would get a better grade on the exam. Now this, this wouldn't work in other classes. It would work in like a, a sociology class or a liberal arts class or something like that. But what I'm getting at is for me, somehow, some way, for me, if I could hear what the professor was saying, that's all I needed. Right. If I listened to the professor and sometimes I'd go to office hours and get clarification, but I couldn't afford textbooks when I was in school. So I would take furious notes in class. That's how I learned. I, my mind never expected that I'd be able to read the textbook. I just accepted that I'm going to have to learn this by showing up, by being present, by being engaged, by taking furious notes, by asking questions. And that's how I learned is by, by showing up and engaging. And you took what, what some would look at as an obstacle 
and you remove that obstacle and said, well, I, I can't learn that way anyways. I don't have a choice to, to learn that way. So I'm going to learn this way. I'm going to yeah. learn through his experiences, his or her experiences, what they're teaching me, what they're saying. And if I got a question, I'm going to go ask them. Yeah, that's the classic lemon and lemonade thing. You know, it's so so if you look, I mean, you understand, look, look at that. You can't read this, but look at the notes that I take in my coaching sessions now. I understand what's going on there. Right. But I have trained myself. There's now in modern days, there's online coaching platforms where you get online with your coach, coach types the notes into the system. And I'm still old school. Uh, I've heard for 12, 13 years, I've been doing all of my coaching sessions in the journal handwritten. And I think it's left over from knowing that I couldn't afford textbooks. So I better be in class. I better pay attention or attention's not going to pay me. Take furious notes. Right. And find my own shorthand. I have arrows and symbols and circle. And I, there's all kinds of things that I do to section off thoughts from each other. And it just emerged naturally for me. But it wouldn't happen without the college experience. So there's a lot of entrepreneurs that say, you don't need college. You don't need college. Most of them that say that have never been to college. Like I wouldn't trade the college experience for anything. Yeah. Yeah. And writing it down, the amount that you retain is, is exponential. I know there's that, some that, psychological study that says yeah. you don't even have to be writing as long as you're just moving your wrist while you're listening. Yeah. That's. I've not heard that one. I'm going to have to look into that. Yeah, so, I, I couldn't cite, I couldn't cite it, but there's a study yeah. that says as long as you're moving your wrist while you're listening, it's just you'll some risk, form of action, which causes something. a reaction. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, masterminds have been around for a long time. Mm -hmm. You had the apostles, probably the original mastermind. Then Benjamin Franklin created the <laughs> leather apron club. And then eventually it came to, you know, one of the top selling books of all time from Napoleon Hill. And, Napoleon, and, right. and, and so the word mastermind is not a new concept. Why do you feel that there's been such a large boom of self-education over the last, you know, three to five years? And where do you see self-education going? Um, first of all, I don't know that there's been such a boom in the last three to five years. I think maybe that we are now seeing it. Like the boom has been in what we see, not what's out there, right? Like if you think about Earl Nightingale or, um, you know, in the Hay House, like, the, you know, Louise Hay and the Hay House publishers. So, you know, Jim Rohn and Tony Robbins. I mean, it, there's been as much as we've been wanting to see as long as we see it, okay? But I think what comes to, I think it's the sign of the times, the digital, the social media. It, it's no different than we see news quicker, faster, more than we did. You know, there used to be news at 11, film at 11. We used to have to wait till 11 o'clock to find out what happened earlier in the day, not anymore. Same thing with personal and professional growth right? We don't have to travel 30 miles to go to a, an event at a hotel. It's all in our face on social media now. So, so I don't know that there's more of it per se. I just think our access to it is proliferated in the, in the, in the information economy, the digital age, etc. Now, if you can reset the, the, the intent of the question, though, uh, there's something that I want to, can you reset the intent of the question? Absolutely. Well, you reset the intent of the question and you go with it. Well, you were talking about masterminds and you were talking, mm -hmm. I, I thought you were going to go in an area about like, hey, the value of the word, does it still hold or has it been watered down the way that it's been used, right? You're talking about there's so much of this now. Yeah, there's so much, talking, so, so much self-education Does it out dilute there? the importance? Does it, you know, in other words, so what's the, what's the important, like, I guess I'm, I'm trying to refresh the, the angle for the question. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, there, there is there, the, the word mastermind is getting used a lot. Yeah. You and I talked about that, you know, before we even hopped on there and I, I talked with several other guests about how it is getting diluted and watered down, you know, from a self-education standpoint, do you think it, it could be detrimental and, and where do you see the world of what you're doing and so many other people are doing out there, you know, you're yeah. having to, you're having to fight against the quality versus the quantity. 
in, yeah, in it comes, yeah, 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 yeah. So it comes down, there's a lot of moving parts here. Are you ready? For me, it comes down, like I'm a big integrity guy. So integration, when I ask people about integrity, we may talk about this again a little bit later, but people fail to realize that part of this word integrity is integrate. There's always something that has to be integrated with something else for there to be integrity. Okay. So if a mastermind is promising, come and learn with and learn from amazing people. Okay. But when it's so somebody pays $2,000 or $3,000 or $5,000 or $50,000 that I've heard of in some of these masterminds, right. And then you show up and they're now the smartest person in the room. Like, wait, I paid, I paid three grand to be in a room where I thought I was going to meet people that were going to know more than me and help me elevate myself but I'm the smartest, richest person here. So now the person that made the promise can't deliver. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So it depends on what the promise is of the mastermind, right? If the master, now here's the other thing. It's a very subtle thing, but if I'm putting on a mastermind, I say, come together and join my mastermind where myself and a collection of my highest caliber people will be coming together to learn with and from each other. And then in that meeting, I never get on the opportunity seat and I never make myself vulnerable and I never ask the collective for help on anything I'm working on. Now I'm out of integrity. Yeah. And we, you talked about that in the beginning, which was like, you know, the person that is hosting, it also should be one of those that is in the hot seat and giving and learning from everyone. If that's the promise. Right. If that's the promise. Right. Now I could say, Hey, guess what, everyone? I have one of my side projects is to help people launch their masterminds. So people come to me and they hire me to host and facilitate their masterminds. So I'll help promote, I'll help lead it, I'll help make sure it's really valuable when it happens. But now if I'm hired as a hired gun to go in and be the facilitator of a mastermind, to make sure things stay on track, to make sure that there's good quality coaching, you know, from a public speaking facilitation coaching expertise place, right? Now I don't have to get on that hot seat. Because right? I, I, my role is clear as a facilitator. And now, like, let's say it's John Doe, right? They have a mastermind, but they don't have 20 years experience teaching public speaking. They don't have the, the cult of personality that I've got. They aren't a fast-paced, variety-oriented extrovert that can see everything going on in the room and, and make it all, pull it all together. They might be an analytical. They might be more deliberate. They might be more of a project manager, an engineer, or a scientist type of entrepreneur, Right. And they might need my communication skills to make it go, but they otherwise want to benefit from it. So now that person that brings me in to facilitate, they should get on the hot seat if the right. promise is, right? So it all comes back to the promise. We're never out of integrity unless we deviate from the promise. Right. Know what your promise so is. Write it down. Be careful it's about your, what we're promising people. Yeah. It's like your mission statement, you know, is really what, you know, is, you know, your mm -hmm. promise should be what, you, you know, you believe in. So, yeah, I, I, well, it should be what you can back up. Yes. It could yeah. be what you could back up. Like, you know, we may have never made it to the moon, even though it was our mission to put a man on the moon. Right. But we, you know, at least this knew something that we could do. We, we believed in the technology. Right. You know, in other words, yeah, it's just the, where it gets sour for me is there's a lot of people out there that are promised. Let me put it to you this way. And without mentioning names, but I gave you this example before. Right. So if some, if I'm out there and I say, Hey, guess what? Branding by association works. Right. When I can be seen in a picture with a celebrity or a, an ex expert, branding by association works. If somebody's trying to hire, 
you got a choice between two coaches and I've got my picture with the president of the United States and somebody else doesn't. It doesn't matter if you're red or blue. It's like, wow, that person's with the president. How, regardless of your politics, how did that person get a picture with the president? They must know people, have connections. They must have accomplished something. And you know, just that picture alone. So branding by association works. But if I'm now selling you, hey, speak on my stage and get your pictures with all of the other people that are going to be on my stage and you can brand by association, like I'm honored to share a stage with or I'm honored to have a chapter in a book with, right? And now you're paying for branding by association. But ultimately what you get is you're paying just to promote the person that you're associated with rather than... Does that make sense? So, oh, absolutely. So you've seen this before where people have invested money in branding by association. Yes. But the person that they've paid the money to, their picture, their logo, their branding is in every picture. Yeah. So now, wait a second. So what have you promised? Now, if you get up there and you say, hey, guess what? If you pay this money, you'll be able to speak on my stage, get pictures with all of the high-level high celebrities, but my brand and my face will be in every one of the images. And you were just honest about that. Then the people that would buy would buy. Yeah. You know that up front. You absolutely you, know it up front. So you don't have to hide it. So yeah. it's integrity. So in other words, it's kind of like you talk about mastermind, right? That's one thing that's been watered down over the years because of how it's been misused. Or you could talk about coaching. A lot of, you know, there's a lot of people that buy coaching and they don't get good coaching. A lot of people that hire a good realtor and they don't get good real estate representation. There's a lot of people you follow. It's no different. Than, you got it. Right. Yeah. So, so to me, it, it's not about mastermind coaching or anything else. To me, it's about integrity. Yeah. Yeah. What's no, the promise? Can you back that up? Are you working your ass off? Are your efforts visibly to deliver on the promise that you made or are your efforts visibly to benefit at everybody else's expense and people, we can smell it. We can taste it. Yeah. We, you know, there's people that are hip to it. A lot of and, people get burned. And let's, let's kind of go in that. So when someone invests in their future, they typically have a better than vague idea of what they're going to get out of it. They, they have some expectations and they know who's going to be in the room and what the outcome could be. What should people expect when they enter your reality? <laughs> uh, thank you. Um, I laugh because I'm a jackass by nature, right? I've got like the, the stand-up comedy in me. Well, you can expect some really crappy jokes, right? You could expect cheesiness, like like lubrication, right? You can expect me to make fun of myself. You could expect me. In other words, like I'm going to be self-deprecating. Like I used to tell my students, don't call me Professor Klubeck. Don't call me Mr. Klubeck. Call me Jeff. So I want to break down the wall right away and just, I want to, you know, get this going. I want to be conversational. I want to be friendly. I don't want to speak this way, top down. I want to speak with and to and through, and I want to listen as much as I speak. So that's number one. You'll be, they can, people can expect to, you know, at a high level, well, let me build up to it. Are you ready? People expect to be heard, right? Felt because I'm an empath, right? I'm a, I'm an empathic, you know, I intuit ideas, thoughts, and feelings, right? I, I'm a master of communication, so I'm an expert student of nonverbal communication. And some people get uncomfortable with that because they know that I know what they're thinking when they don't want me to know, you know what I'm saying? Like uh, people wear it on their sleeves, so to speak, even when they're trying not to. But you can be heard, felt, understood, okay? All of that from the empath, from masters of communication, etc. cetera. Uh, listen to, heard, love. Um, people can expect to roll their eyes at me because of the cheese. But in some cases, I'm going to have you laughing your ass off. And I'll tell you that, that that's because I believe very firmly. You talk about learning styles. How do you learn best? I didn't get a chance to say it, but let me bridge that answer with this one. Laughter is the ultimate Trojan horse to get the learning through. 
I want people to laugh their way to the learning. So people expect to have a good time. People can expect to be serious about having fun. But now let's break it down from the platitudes. People can expect to be motivated and held accountable. Motivation plus accountability equals results. So this is like the vertebrae of my coaching and my leadership formula. I know that, that people shouldn't come into my world unless they want a different result, first of all. You got no business being here, right? You, like, if you want a different result, like either in your life or your business, you want something has to be different. So if you don't want, if life is perfect and you don't need to make any changes, uh, other, other than let's have popcorn and watch a movie together, you don't need to be in my world unless you want to make a change, okay? And so now how do we create those results? Well, there's two ways to motivate somebody. One is to just give them strategies. Step one, step two, step three. You know, I always say that if my wife asks me to make dinner for the kids, I'll be stuck until she says, there's the cooking instructions, there's the ingredients, and then I just go, regardless of how many mistakes I'll make along the way. So you just give somebody a strategy. People say, I'm afraid of public speaking. I say, well, can you follow these eight steps? People say, well, I don't know how to, I don't know how to market myself. Well, can you follow this exercise? So if you just give somebody a strategy, you might get them going into taking action. But the other way to motivate somebody, if, most of us, we have all the strategies in the world, but we're not doing it because we're afraid or we have a, an emotional addiction or a fear or limiting belief or whatever. So we have to do a checkup from the neck up. So if I can give you strategy and I can get you out of your own way, psycho emo, right? Now you're motivated, okay? Then once you're motivated, now it's just a matter of accountability, holding you accountable. And the easy part of that is time and task management, getting people into their calendars to make appointments. So, but, but the harder part of that is the integrity piece, right? Is what are we holding people accountable for? So Brandon, when I'm asking people, when I do public speaking on this, it's one of my favorite things to do is I'll say, how many of you believe you have integrity by show of hands and a hundred percent of the audience will raise their hand. I'll say, okay, okay, okay. Let's talk about it then. What is integrity? And I'll ask a couple of people and you hear the standard answers. It never goes further than this. There's two answers I get Uh, doing what you say you do. I'm like, okay, now where there's the saying and the doing become integrated, right? And they go, yeah. I'm like, okay, anybody else? And they say, well, having morals, doing the same thing you would do when nobody's looking that you would do if somebody else is looking. Okay, so there's a moral, a value that then becomes integrated with the behavior, regardless of whether we've committed to it to another person or not. And now I got the room, everybody's like, okay, cool. And I'm like, all right, well, if I said that I was gonna drink 18 beers and lay on the couch all day, and then I did that, would I have integrity? Now they're like, wait a second, you said he would do it and he did it. Well, based on my criteria, no, because I wouldn't be living. Right? So in other words, now it's like, I'm not, there's something I'm disintegrated with if I do that, right? Which is my potential, my productivity, right? So my point is people think about integrity as being a good person or having values and everybody's going to raise their hand. But when I get done with them after I do the rest of the 45 minute talk, people are realizing that they're out of integrity and as human beings, we always are. So in my model of integrity, it's like there's a, I got a seven or a 10 point model to, to describe it. And the point seven is our behavior, right? So that's point seven. But at the top is what's our purpose? What is, what is a meaning of life? What's the meaning of, like you said, mission earlier? What's the, why does the business exist? A lot of people never decide why does their business exist? Most people never talk about why their life exists. What's the purpose right? behind it for purpose? What's the purpose? Yeah. What's the purpose? So even if you change next week what your purpose is, you still want to know today what your purpose is. But if you have no purpose, then what is your commitment and your action integrated with? Nothing. I think about the, the garden hose that I turn on at the wall, and then I follow it, and it's going like this all, all over the lawn. 
right? So yeah, I, you know, the water's flowing, but it, without pur- I need to guide it somewhere and point it somewhere. So purpose, right? We all should have a purpose, right? So there's life purpose coaching where people want to find their purpose, right? Yeah. Then we are all gifted. Coaching can uncover people's gifts. You know, you saw those notes that I take in my coaching sessions. Mm-hmm. You can imagine that I, I get clear, I get clued in to people's talents, gifts, whether they've been given those gifts or cultivated those gifts. They're gifts. They're ready to be received, first of all, from the higher power or given to the audiences, right? And then so if I've got purpose and I've I got gifts, then my life represents a potential. I have the potential to be on a million podcasts or I have the potential to train a million speakers or I have the potential to train a million coaches or I have the potential to write a dozen books or I have the potential to get 10,000 people past the fear of public speaking or whatever. There's some potential. So my coach would say, all right, Jeff, if you're going to train a million coaches. How many do you need to train in the next three months to feel like you're on your way to the million? So then goals, right? Most people fail to set goals. So they're wayward. They're blown around like a feather in the wind. People have hopes, wishes, and dreams, but not specific, measurable, time-bound you know, goals that create accountability. So in my world, you can't tell me about a hope, a wish, or a dream. You better expect that I'm going to say, what by when? What by when? What by when? Yeah. Right? And so there's going to be accountability. But then when we have a goal, then strategies. It's easy. You know, there's a lot of different ways to do the same thing. So certain strategies appeal to a, an extrovert. Other strategies appeal to an introvert. So people can expect conversation around strategy. But ultimately, what do you commit to? What do you do? What do you learn? What do you accumulate? And then what do you give back for all 10 points on the, this model of integrity? So when people come into my world, back to your question, they can expect humor, jackass, silliness, love. They can expect to be heard, understood, felt, right? But then when it comes to wanting anything different in their life than what they have now, they can expect to be motivated. And they can expect to be held accountable. And I say, hell, I... I'd say hug. I hug people accountable. I deliver hardcore accountability on a plate of I love you. And that's the last thing that I want to say. And, and, and I think um, David Farber, Farber, there's a guy named Farber that's got a book about this. The L word. You know, I don't know how many, how many people are really willing to say it, but uh, love. Love is the willingness to be vulnerable so that either ourselves or our beloved may grow. And so this, I don't know if we're ready for this now, but I'm going to just say it. People come into my world, they better expect to be loved. They better expect my vulnerability for the sake of their growth. And if they're not willing to be vulnerable for the sake of their own growth, they're not ready for my world yet. So to me, the adhesive that holds everything together is love. The willingness to be vulnerable so that either ourselves or our beloved may grow. And whether you hire me, pay me money or not, if you're in my world, you are my beloved. Yeah, that's, that is powerful. That's emotional. And I, I love how you were open and honest and vulnerable about that. So, I mean, like speaking of the people that you're working with, you know, they have a way of surprising us, whether yeah. it's their willingness to learn, you know, whatever it is. So, you know, the rooms that you put together, whether it's one-on-one, it's group rooms, whatever that is, you know, has anyone that has been to something that you've put together by what they've been able to accomplish has it surprised you? And what was the outcome of them being in that room? Um, One thing that surprises me, um, I mean, just, I don't know why this comes to mind, but one of my learners, I'll give you the quick history. I was invited to speak on a three hour workshop deal and I had all three hours. So speak your way to success. So I was going to, it's basically a public speaking workshop. So I go and I show up and I'm like, Hey, guess what? I got my slide deck. And how many of you want me to go slide by slide and talk to you until I sell to you at the end? Anybody? Well, I'm not going to do that. 
I don't know what's of value to you among all the slides I prepared. So I'm just going to start with your questions. What are your questions? And I, I, I'm not going to assume that what comes out of my mouth is valuable unless I'm answering your questions. So I just took everybody's questions and sure, lo and behold, by the end of three hours, we've been through all my slides, but it was their questions that got me to them and through them. Okay. Somebody comes up to me at the end. He says, hello, my name is Hawk and I'm going to be president of the United States in, you know, 20, 30, something, whatever. And I really loved your presentation and I need to get better at public speaking. So it turns out this guy then audits my course at Miramar College and he just sits in. He wasn't enrolled, but he was taking like an entrepreneur course. He says, Jeff, can I do an internship with you to get the credits for the course? And next thing I know, he's got, he's got a, a seat in my coaching and leadership training. You know, I started thousands and thousands of dollars for, but he got a scholarship. He invested, he paid money, but he used that experience. And so he was in my room, right? And this is back when I was doing my coaching and leadership training 15 consecutive weeks. So once a week for 90 minutes, 15 consecutive weeks, people would come online. I would take them through the fill in the blank content and then they would exercise and do assignments in between. It was, it was heavy. And next thing I know, within a year or two from there, this guy's like essentially a student cruising into my class on a skateboard, you know, that by appearance, people may not take seriously or whatever. Next thing I know, he's, founder of Funnel Magazine with Richard Brunson, not Branson, Brunson, right? The, the creator of ClickFunnels, the whole platform oh, yeah. is, is on the cover of his magazine. And, and next thing I know, I'm a contributing author to Funnel Magazine founded by my student, Hawk. That was really impressive. Uh, I, I, that, that blew me away. And that was that was, that was really exciting to see. And, and, and there's other examples, but that's one that just popped in right away that I yeah. thought I would lay out for you. Huge success story. I love it. I love it. And, yeah. and, and speaking in success, you know, I was working with a coach recently and it was like, you know, what does it take to create success? There's, there's mentorship, there's experimentation, there's partnerships, there's willingness to fail. Yes. But really where we stopped is one's willingness to succeed. With, with, with the sensitivity of social media, I feel like we're actually afraid to succeed. What do you think it really takes to be willing to get over that hump and when your main fear is being successful? There's so much there. First of all, um, let me just go to the subtlety. Are you ready? People aren't defining success. So on the one hand, oh, I'm afraid to succeed. Oh, really? Tell me specifically what you're afraid of. And they couldn't tell you because they haven't defined success yet. Okay. So we have a conversation about afraid to succeed, but I think it's an empty conversation unless there's a definition of what counts as success. So a lot of times people, um, to me, it comes down to knowing what you want, deciding what you want. That's why the goal setting piece is so important, right? If you have the potential to do this in your life, what would you have to do in the next three months to feel like you're on your way to that? And people will avoid declaring that because they don't want to fail. So I could tell you five reasons right now why people avoid goal setting, right? And one of those reasons is the failure to succeed piece. Let me, can I break that down for you? Yeah, please. All right. So one reason people fail to set goals, they don't know the importance of goal setting, right? Anybody that's studied personal professional growth, other than a hack that just wants to be, you know what I mean? Like some of those other people that we described earlier, right? Anybody that's studied personal professional growth that wants to deliver it and be a part of it in a genuine way right? They understand the power of visualization, right? If I can get a clear, vivid mental picture, you know, it's funny in personal professional growth, they call it secret, right? But in literature, they call it reticular activation. What's that? Well, that's like when you get a Volkswagen bug and next thing you know, you see all the other Volkswagen bugs on the road. Well, they were there the day before, but now you notice it because you got one, right? So same thing. If we get a clear, vivid mental picture in our head of what we really want, 
when we open up our eyes, our brain is going to do pattern matching. You follow? So this is just a coffee mug. If I don't tell myself what I want, when I tell myself what I want, this either is something that I could put my money into or it isn't. If I've told myself I want to save money. So my brain will look at this against my goal in a way that it hasn't seen. It won't look at it if I've never decided what it is. So there's the power of visualization, power of deciding. It creates accountability. It creates focus. Michael Phelps, a Kluby snack of mine is Kluby snacks are bite-sized nuggets, right? That I put out there. Michael Phelps never won a gold medal swimming in somebody else's lane. So we decide what we want. Now we've created our lane that we can swim in. We did we time management. We know what to say yes to, what to say no to, because it matches or doesn't match our goals. So number one, people don't realize the importance of goal setting. Number two, people don't know how. I, I didn't learn how to set goals until my 30s. And then when I learned how, it was great because it was better what I had, but it wasn't good enough for a coach. And I have a whole new program on goal setting where I took what I learned, made it a little bit better, more accountability, more motivation, more behavioral change. So I have a, a smart goal setting methodology where I added an A, changed the R, if you're familiar with smart. But one, people don't know the importance. Two, people don't know how. Now, here's where it gets interesting. Three, the third reason people fail to set goals is they're afraid of failure. This is just the ego. I don't need to elaborate on this. The ego never wants to experience a you know, anything uncomfortable. So the ego will sabotage the setting of the goal because the ego doesn't want to face the reality that you fell short, right? If I set a goal of earning a million dollars and I only earn 920,000, I would have to say I didn't achieve my goal, right? But I, I don't care because I successfully achieved 92% of it, but the ego won't let me set it at a million because it doesn't want to face the reality of no, right? So the ego will sabotage because the reptilian brain and the ego and the need, right? So fear of failure. Now, the fourth reason is the fear of peer pressure. This gets into what you're talking about. Failure to succeed, okay? Most people don't set goals. Most people have ego defense. Most people are othering anybody different, right? So if I came up to you, Brandon, and you're a TV watcher and a couch sitter and a complacency person and you're not setting goals in your life, I'm like, hey, Brandon, guess what? I'm going to you know, lose 20 pounds, double my income, and get rid of all the toxic relationships in my life. No, you're not. You'll never do that. Come on, man. Have a beer with me. So in other words, you, you're, gonna, you're not going to say, really? You're motivated? Well, let me get motivated and do something too. Most people, when they meet somebody that's got some ambition, without knowing that they're doing it, will subconsciously try to take that person down. Okay, so for anybody that's listening to this out there, never, ever share your goals with somebody that doesn't set goals themselves or who isn't as fanatic about you achieving yours as you are or more, right? Yeah. So just keep it to yourself, right? But the other part of peer pressure is like, uh, you know, fear of abandonment, fear of, you know, if I succeed, I'll leave my friends behind. If I succeed, well, like the other thing too is so if I make a lot of money, now everybody's going to come after me and want my money. Or if I win the lottery, now everybody's going to call. Or, you know, my whatever the case may be. So you see this with professional athletes, right? They don't want to diss their friends that they grew up with, right? You know, so there's, there's that, that it's peer pressure and it could cut both ways. Fear, yeah. you, you follow you? Yeah, and then, and then, and then the, other, the other thing is, just to finish out the fifth reason that people fail to set goals, is when we set goals, we're committing to pain, right? It's a commitment to pain and most human beings want to avoid that. We want to leave a pain-free existence. So we don't will ourselves into pain very often. But there's two types of pain, the pain of growth, right? Growing pains, right? Or the pain of regret. So as soon as we set a goal, we've committed to the pain of going after it or the pain of knowing what we want and knowing that we're not doing anything about it. So most people will just fail to set a goal in the first place to avoid those two forms of pain. And so when you come into my world 
expect growing pain, but expect it to be lubricated with a dose of I love you. You, yeah. you see where I'm going with all this? It's a positive pain. We have to understand yeah. the work, how we work yeah. with that. So we're getting closer to the end. And I've, I've got a couple other things I want to I want to talk to you about as, sure. as we're both fathers. So when I look at my son, I sit there and I say, I want him to be healthy first. And then I want him to be a good person. And then if he excels at anything, that's just like icing on the cake. When I think of these things, I think it's a foundation that, you know, he's learning about what it takes to build integrity, which we've talked a little bit about today. Mm-hmm. How does someone know along their journey that what they're getting is authentic integrity? And what does that look like to you? Yeah, there's what a can of worms there. Um, first of all, how does somebody know that what they're getting has integrity? Yeah. On one hand, it's a feel. It's a gut feeling. How many times have you heard, go with your gut, trust your gut? Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, what gets in the way of trusting our gut? The magazine cover, the social media post by the other person, FOMO, fear of missing out. There's all these images that we think we're supposed to live up to. And those are at the forefront of our brain. And then we're comparing what we see to what we want versus what we intuit. You follow? Mm-hmm. So we need to lengthen the fuse, right, between stimulus and response. If we're being sold into something, that there's something that doesn't feel right about it. Okay. So one is listen to your gut. The other is do the research. Get it in writing. Yeah. Right? So trust, but verify. People say, well, I didn't want to ask them to write it up because we're friends. We've been friends forever. It's like, you've been friends forever. Then why would they have a problem writing it up? Yeah. You know, like I, I, have, a, I have a joint venture in place with somebody right now. And, 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 and this is somebody that you know, I, I think very highly of, right, in many areas. This person doesn't do everything the exact way I would do it. Doesn't need to. That's their jam, right? But we have an exchange of value that we had for each other. And, and I was asking the questions, right? Because I'm a big fan of integrity and, and I'm, a, I'm an accountability and an integrity guy. And so at one point he says, you know, God, I, I don't like working with people that make things so difficult. And I'm like, okay. So in other words, to me, like now I could have reacted to that as it was a personal attack on me. And now I'm making things difficult and I'm the bad guy. And I'm like, that's funny, John Doe, because I don't like working with people that won't put things in writing. So now I just hit it back over the net and said, well, I may be difficult, but you're dishonest. Now what? Can we get back to putting our deal together? Yeah. Right? So if it's too difficult for you to make all the money that you want to make by selling my content to your audience, if it's too difficult, then let's don't do it. Find you, see if you can get my content somewhere else. See if you could deliver it as authentically somehow else. See if you can get some other coach to come in and deliver it the way I would. You'd be out of integrity there. Right? So in other words, you got to stick to your guns. You got to know who you are. Rule number one, know yourself. Right? If people haven't done the work of investing in themselves to understand who they really are, what they really want, what their potential is, what their gifts are, what their behavioral tendencies are, what their motivators are, then it's going to be harder to negotiate integrity otherwise. So know yourself, trust your gut, and then what's wrong with asking? Let's put this in writing. Let's, can we describe, can we write up our exchange? You hear the terms? Exchange of value. What's the exchange of value? What are you putting in? What am I putting in? What is the compensation on both sides, right? I've seen it both ways where I've walked away from deals where people aren't willing to put in writing or where people were only putting into writing enough. And I'm like, you know what? You're hurting yourself by not going a step further, but that's okay. You know, I'm here to protect my family. You know, do you want to do this deal and you're not going to take it any further? That's okay. I'm not taking unfair advantage of you. I've asked, can we do this? Can we do this? Can we do this? You say, no, no, no. I've surveyed the situation where I'm in the driver's seat anyway, and I'm willing to move forward 
but I don't know if this is a good idea for you. Yeah. Right. Sometimes I've had to actually say no to my own profits because I knew the other person was at a disadvantage. Does this make sense to you? Yeah, that, that's integrity. You're saying, I mean, that's an integral part. That is integrity right there. Yeah. Don't move forward unless this is going to work for you. Don't move forward. And, you know, so back to the other question, what can people expect when they come to my world? They can expect to be held 100% responsible for their own results. They can expect laughter, the love, the, the guide, the path, the clarity, all this other stuff. But if you're not ready to be 100% responsible for your own results in life, if you're not ready for the pain of growth, growing pain, right? If you're not ready to be confronted, challenged, to question the status quo, if you're not ready to invest in yourself psychologically, emotionally, and financially, you're not ready for my world. You know, if you want to buy a coach so you can go out there into the world with your Gucci purse or your, your Rolex watch and tell people that you have a coach and that's the only reason that you got one, don't come to me, right? Yeah. Don't, come, don't come to me unless you're actually really ready to be vulnerable, confronted, and make changes. Yeah, that's the people that, you know, hey, I go to events just to say I went to events. I have a, I go to masterminds because I, I, I just say I've been in masterminds. I've got a coach just to say I've got a coach. So, you got it. You know, you know there, there's, there's, always, there's always new ideas brewing in times of prosperity. Why waste a good pandemic? Yeah, but I, <laughs> I really think innovation happens and ingenuity comes out of when we really kind of feel the squeeze. What Necessity working, breeds invention. Yes, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, what it. are you working on right now that's going to take place over the next 12 months that excites you? Um, all right, I'm working on the clubrary. <laughs> Instead of the library, the clubrary. So like my life's work is my coaching and leadership training. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, um, you know, I'm, I, I'm tempted to open up the screen share, but I know me, I'll go on a tangent, but let's just, just see if you, if you want to see it, I'll show you. But um, it's a, it's, it's a coach's training. I've, I've worked on this for years and years and years and years and years. Right. Um, but basically imagine all of the content that I have to share with somebody to teach them how to coach, right? If I'm going to teach somebody how to motivate others, I need to give strategies in health relationships, finance. I need to give them strategies for uh, belief and behavior intervention. Right. I need to give strategies for sales, marketing, operations, finance, uh, like soft skill strategy. Right. Communication, marketing, branding, sales, networking, rapport building on it. Right. Uh, confrontation. You know, I got to teach. If we're going to hold people accountable and, and confront people, what are the tools of confrontation? What's the mindset of a coach? What's the anatomy of a coaching session? And how do you, how do you build rapport and deliver? And what's open-ended? What's closed? Like the totality of my life's work, my master's degree at the intersection of personal professional growth created my coaching and leadership training. So if you want to learn how to coach, right, you can come into my training and you can become a profitable coach after you're done with the training. Or if you're in an organization and you have direct reports, right, the keyword is engagement, right? So if my next raise or promotion is based on getting better performance from my direct reports, I might want to know how to motivate them and hold them accountable. So I call it a coaching and leadership training because whether you're entrepreneurial or intrapreneurial, right? Knowing how to motivate and hold others accountable is the key to success, right? Beyond your own individual contributions. Now, imagine like the totality of content that's in this training. Okay. And all told, just access to the content is a five-figure investment. Okay. And then there's upsells for one-on-one -on -one time with me or group mentoring time with me. There's group mentoring. There's one-on-one -on -one mentoring. There's access to the content. There's audios, there's videos, there's PowerPoints, there's fill in the blanks. There's, there's all this stuff, right? But that's not the answer to your question. The answer to your question over the next 12 months is to create a clubrary 
right, library of a bunch of mini courses where I take anything within that body of work that stands alone as its own learning module and I extract it, pull it and create its own little course for a more digestible tater tot size digestibility. So I have a $19 course for smart goal setting. I have a $147 course for strategic staffing, how to avoid hiring mistakes, especially right now, the labor market's a trip. I got a $37 course for confident candidate. If you've been displaced and you're going back out into the job search mode and you're interviewing for jobs, what's gonna give you a competitive advantage as a candidate? when it comes time for that interview from the soft skill communication place. So I have an individual course on behavioral assessments, an individual, does this make sense? So yeah, I'm absolutely. going through and I'm, I'm taking every little piece of content in my total coaching and leadership training that stands on its own as, right? And I'm putting it up and creating, creating the funnels to it. So I've got an associate that's building the landing page and then the email campaigns. Once they go to the page, if we get their email address in exchange for a piece of content that's free and of value. And I'm having fun now creating ads that see if I can drive traffic to the page and getting into the digital marketing and all of that. So I'm at the point now where for many, 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 many years, I wasn't getting paid unless my time was attached to it. Right. Does that make mm -hmm. sense? Yeah. But I've in, in selling the content of my coaches training, I've been now, uh, I, I'm, I'm moving where now I can create more passive income streams and more uh, automated learning options yeah. for people. And they, they all might trickle into the big, you know, the biggest thing in the world is if I can have, if I can have 50% of the planet get into my coaching and leadership training and then go and take care of the rest of the world, we'd, we'd be great. But some people aren't ready for a $12,000 investment right off the bat. They need the $147 thing first or the $37 thing first, or uh, yeah. even the free community in the next 12 months. Um, and this is the last answer that I have to this question, yeah. you know, right? The book, Get a Clue in 52, it's 52 for a year's worth, right? Yep. So this coming Sunday is episode 26, halfway through. I made a, I put this book out last week, uh, last year, I'm sorry. It's five categories, uh, networking, sales, marketing, communication, and accountability. I just wrote 10 tips in each of the five categories. I put uh, two extra tips in the marketing, so I'd have 52. And then this year, I thought, you know what? Let me build community. Let me create a group and get a bunch of people in the group. What can I do that's valuable? I know. I'll go on once a week and I'll read one tip from the book. Well, how's that going to be dynamic? I know. I'll do it on Zoom and I'll Zoom it to Facebook. So that way if people join on the Zoom side, they can interact with me. So here we go. Get a clue in 52. It's a weekly live stream, right? Where I come on, I read one tip from the book, and then I pivot into group coaching, group discussion. It's totally free. And we've done 25 of them in a row. The 26th episode is this Sunday night. And as a matter of fact, I'm probably going to go ahead and ask if you want to be a guest in one of the remaining 26 episodes on the back. And Brandon, it would be great to have you and turn it around and start asking you some questions or hear what some of your insights are. But the idea is I've got like a little over, it's all totally organic, no bots, no advertising. All I've done is invite people that are in my Facebook group of friends. We've got like 430 something people in the group. Every single week people come on. There's people from South Africa, the Netherlands, Australia, that are coming on board Sunday night at 8 p.m. Pacific time. And I read the tip and then we just pivot into a conversation. And it's nice. like very community, very family-like, very loving. And the corpus of videos that are, right? So now I've got, now I'm creating more content. I got yeah. 10 videos. The sales section is done. The networking section is done. Yeah. Right? So now I got these 10 one-hour videos for each of those subjects. So I'm, I'm a big fan of, of synergy. When you do one thing that serves more than one purpose. So over the next six months, I'm going to be finishing this commitment to doing this every single Sunday night. And then the six months after that, 
I got to figure out then the next step is to cultivate that group and to get everybody in that group into their next phase of whatever, wherever they are on their personal professional growth journey. But then once I've got a group that's got 52 videos in it, what do I do with that? So the next six months, I'm going to be studying more digital marketing and tribe nurturing of tribe and you know, all of that stuff. That's, that's what, that's what I'm into. That's, that's amazing. I mean, it's the tapas if, if for a food analogy, the tapas of like yeah. products that you've got out there. It's just like, you know, yeah. you, you give them tater tots, you give them tapas, you know, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah. it's palatable, it's, uh, it's affordable and it's valuable at the yeah. end of the day. So thank you. Thank you. And there's um, other type, there's other value that I'm putting into that group. Like I do, I have flyby coaching videos that I used to shoot when I was taking off on airplanes when I was traveling around the world. And I have Kluby snack videos is just a quick saying that has some meaning and i on like mondays or tuesdays or fridays i put extra content into the group to keep people engaged on the way to sunday so i'm really excited and proud of what i'm doing here costs me nothing other than my time and it feels so good every week of the value that people are getting out of it and then i could quietly promote these other things that i'm doing without being commission breath yeah you follow you don't want the halitosis of the commission right there it's oh just commission a, breath you can smell it a mile away yeah it's not good well jeff I appreciate. Um, there's been so much in this. I'm looking forward to re-listening to this and and just taking out all the you know all the juicy nuggets that you gave, not only to myself but anyone out there that's listening. So again, we've got Jeff Klubeck, the founder of Get a Flu. Get a clue. Hello, <laughs> that's a Freudian slip of the the flu, right? The COVID yeah, era. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, the author. Yeah. (laughs) The author of Get a Clue in 52. Check it out. It'll be in the show notes below where you can get the book. You can enter the world of Jeff and realize what you're going to get is is love and honesty and integrity. So Jeff, thank you so much for uh, joining us today on The Mastermind Effect. Oh, it's been my pleasure, Brandon. I can't wait, by the way, to reciprocate and have you come into the Get a Clue in 52 community. I think it would be a wonderful experience for everybody. So thanks for having me. I'd love it. And I look forward to it. So, All all right. Thanks. Thank you for listening to The Mastermind Effect, your secret weapon for personal development. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to share with a friend and leave a five-star review on iTunes. And don't forget to subscribe through your favorite podcast host so you won't miss a single episode. You're one step closer to experiencing The Mastermind Effect.